order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Kelvin Hopkin. Number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I have, will have further such meetings later today. Kelvin Hopkin. Thousands of babies are born each year damaged for life by alcohol consumed in pregnancy. Patients affected by alcohol have put immense pressure on the National Health Service and alcohol is a primary factor in domestic violence and attacks on women. Does the Prime Minister recognise the seriousness of the country's alcohol problems, the damage to lives and billions of cost to the public purse, and will she instruct her government to now address these problems effectively and as a matter of urgency? Well, I, I can certainly say to the Honourable Gentleman that I recognise the problems that alcohol causes. He particularly referenced not just uh, problems for pregnant women, but also the, uh, the issue around domestic violence and the part that alcohol can often play on domestic violence and abuse. That's why when I was Home Secretary we produced a, an alcohol strategy, we worked on this issue of, uh, of alcohol and the Government continues to recognise the importance of this issue and to work on it. Lawrence Robertson. Thank you Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to the NHF staff who, pay, who provide us with such magnificent treatment day in and day out. But will she also agree with me that people who miss NHS appointments without cancelling them cost the NHS a great deal of money and also take up slots which would otherwise be used by other patients? And will she consider how she might let those people know of the inconvenience they're causing to the NHS? My, my honourable friend makes two important points. First of all, I'm very pleased to join with him in paying tribute to the dedication and hard work of all those who work in our National Health Service. And secondly, he's right to point out that if somebody misses an appointment, that actually is a cost on the NHS. And there are many ways, uh, a number of ways, in which this is now being dealt with, including in some hospitals actually sending out text messages reminding people of appointments, not just reminding them of the appointment, but telling them how much it costs if they miss that appointment. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, yesterday the Prime Minister snubbed Parliament and, and, snubbed, and snubbed the Brexit Committee's recommendations to bring forward a white paper, whilst at the same time describing the referendum as a vote to restore our parliamentary democracy. This is about our jobs, living standards and future prosperity. Why will it not be scrutinised by this House? Well, I say to the right honourable gentleman that what I did yesterday was set out a plan for a global Britain. I set out, I set out a plan that will put the divisions that will put the divisions of last year behind us, that will show a vision that shows a vision for that shows a vision for a stronger, fairer, more united, more outward-looking, prosperous, prosperous, tolerant and independent, truly global Britain. It was a vision which will shape a stronger future and build a better Britain. Mr Speaker, restoring parliamentary democracy while sidelining Parliament. Mr Speaker, it's not so much the Iron Lady as the Irony Lady. 
Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister finally provided some detail. Can I urge her to stop her threat of a bargain basement Brexit? A low pay tax haven on the shores of Europe. It won't necessarily damage the EU, but it would certainly damage this country. Businesses, jobs and public service. She demeans herself and her office and our country's standing by making these kind of threats. What I set out yesterday was a plan for a global Britain bringing prosperity to this country and jobs to people and spreading economic growth across the country. But actually yesterday we also learned a little more of the right honourable gentleman's thinking on this, uh, on this issue. What he, what he said was the following. She has said that leave the single market, then at the same time says she wants to have access to the single market. I'm not quite sure how that's going to go down in Europe. I think we have to have a deal that ensures we have access to the market. I've got a plan. He doesn't have a clue. Mr Speaker, she was the one who made the threat about slashing corporation tax. If you re reduce corporation tax, the lowest common denominator, this country loses £120 billion in revenue. How then do you fund public services as a result of that? Last year, the Prime Minister said leaving the single market would make trade deals considerably harder. And while we could certainly negotiate our own trade agreements, there would be no guarantee that they would be on terms as good as those we, those we now enjoy. But yesterday the Prime Minister only offered us vague guarantees. Can I ask her, does she now disagree with herself? The Right Honourable Gentleman might also have noticed that when I spoke in the Remain campaign, I said that if we left, voted to leave the uh, European Union, the sky would not fall in. And look at what has happened, actually, to our economic situation since we voted to leave the European Union. But I say he talks about, he talks about the future of this economy. I want us to be an outward-looking nation, trading around the world, bringing prosperity and jobs here into the United Kingdom. The one thing that would be bad for the economy is the answers that the Right Honourable Gentleman has. He wants a cap on wages, no control on immigration, and to borrow an extra £500 billion. Pounds. That, that wouldn't lead to prosperity. That would lead to no jobs, no wages and no skills. Prime, Prime Minister, the Chancellor said after the referendum that to lose single market access would be catastrophic. A few days later, the Health Secretary said the first part of the plan must be clarity that we will remain in the single market. The Prime Minister said something about frictionless access to the single market and a bespoke customs union deal. Could the Prime Minister give us a little bit of certainty and clarity about this? Has she ruled out paying any kind of access fee to achieve access to what she describes as a frictionless market? Yes. 
say to the right honourable gentleman that access to the single market is exactly what I was talking about yesterday in my speech. One of the key principles, the key objectives, is that we negotiate a free trade agreement with the European Union that gives us the widest possible access for trading with and operating within the European Union. And he talks about frictionless access. Actually, this was a separate point, which is about frictionless borders in relation to the customs issue. A very important issue for us in relation to our relationship between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. And the Taoiseach and I and all parties are absolutely uh, uh, on the single page on this, that we want to ensure that we have the best possible arrangement that does not lead to a borders of the past for Northern Ireland. Enemy Corbyn. The question was, Mr Speaker, would we have to pay for access to the market or not? The Prime Minister has not given an answer on that. And yesterday she set out a wish list on immigration referring to skills shortages and high-skill migration. Does she now then disagree with the Secretary of State for Rural Affairs, who told an employers' conference, don't worry, you can still have cheap EU labour after we leave the European Union? The Right Honourable Gentleman talks about access. Yes. The whole point is that we will negotiate a free trade agreement with the European Union that is about the best possible access for British business to operate in the European Union member states and for European businesses to operate here in the United Kingdom. It's about sitting down and negotiating the best possible deal for the United Kingdom. That's what I'm committed to and that's what this government is going to deliver. My question was about how much we're going to have to pay to have access to the market. Still no answer. Yesterday she talked about the pressure put on public services by migration. Can I just remind her, as one of her honourable friends did earlier, that at the moment there are 55,000 EU citizens working in our National Health Service helping to treat all of the people of this country. There are 80,000 care workers helping our mainly elderly people. There are 5,000 teachers educating our children. The real pressure on public services comes from a government that slashed billions from the social care budget, that is cutting the school's budget, that's closing A&E departments and walk-in centres and sure start centres. So instead of threatening to turn Britain into an offshore tax haven, let's welcome those who contribute to our public services and fund our public services properly so that we do have the fully functioning NHS that we all need and deserve. I made clear yesterday we value those who have come to the United Kingdom and contribute to our economy and our society, and there will still be people coming to the United Kingdom from the European Union when we leave the EU. The crucial issue is that it is this government that will be making decisions about our immigration system for people from the European Union. But yet again, I say to the right honourable gentleman, there is indeed a difference between us. It's very simple. When I look at the issue of Brexit, or indeed at any other issue like the National Health Service or social care, I I I consider the issue, I set out my plan, and I stick to it. It's called leadership. He should try it sometime.
Thank you, Speaker. Yesterday was a day for being bold and ambitious, and I'm sure my right honourable friend noted in her busy day that Lincoln City Football Club followed her lead last night, but best since the fourth round of the FA Cup. Whilst I warmly welcome Mark the BM speech yesterday, I also noted her recent comments about white working class boys in university. But in 10 years, half a million fewer males have gone to university than females. Male exam rates are lower at all levels, and fewer males than females start apprenticeships. Despite my raising this issue in a Westminster Hall debate with education ministers, four months ago nothing has happened. I asked my right honourable friend, when can we expect to see practical action on closing the gender education gap? Well, can I join my honourable friend in congratulating Lincoln City on their victory last night and say I think it was a fitting tribute to Graham Taylor that they, uh, they won that, uh, that match. And he's raised an important point, and I have indeed highlighted the issue particularly of white working class boys who are the group in society least likely to go to university. Uh, we're committed to making sure that every child gets the opportunity to fulfil their potential. That is about ensuring uh, apprenticeships are as accessible as possible, and I'm pleased to tell my honourable friend that the number of apprenticeships started by males has increased this year to almost 50%. But also, universities expect to spend over £800 million this year improving access and success for disadvantaged students. We want everybody to achieve their potential, whatever their background and whatever their gender. Angus Robertson. Thank you. Shortly after the Prime Minister confirmed that she wants to take the UK out of the single European market, the Scottish Parliament voted by a large cross-party majority to remain in the single European market, just as a large majority of people in Scotland voted to remain in the European Union. The Prime Minister has said, the Prime Minister has said that Scotland is an equal partner in the United Kingdom. Does she still believe this is true, or is she just stringing the people of Scotland along? I gave, uh, I might refer the Right Honourable Gentleman to my speech yesterday, where I reiterated my commitment to be working with the devolved administrations to ensure that their voice is heard, that their interests are taken into account as we proceed along this path of negotiating our exit from the European Union. Uh, And also, I specifically reference the Scotland plan. I understand the Welsh Government will be producing a a plan for Wales uh, for us to look at too. That Scotland plan will be being considered by the JMC on European negotiations tomorrow, I believe. We will be looking at it seriously and working with the Scottish Government on the proposals they bring forward. Ms Robertson. Scotland's leading economic forecaster says, and I quote, that real wages will fall... They don't like experts. Tories, Tories jeering and cheering when the forecast for people's income is it is likely to drop by £2,000 and that 80,000... Mr Speaker, that 80,000 people may lose their jobs in Scotland as a result of the hard Tory Brexit plan of the Prime Minister. Does the Prime Minister believe that this is a price worth paying for her little Britain Brexit? I repeat what I said earlier. We will be working to ensure that we get the best possible deal in terms of access to the single market and continuing to cooperate in partnership with the member states of the remaining 27 member states of the European Union. But the Right Honourable Gentleman once again talks about the possibility of a negative impact on Scotland if Scotland were not part of the single market. His party is dedicated to taking Scotland out of the single market by taking it out of the 
uh, for the United Kingdom. Richard Fuller! Uh, Mr Speaker, this, this week directors of our larger companies have been told by investors to rein in senior executive pay, which is too often distorted by long-term incentive plans, which are too complex to manage and too excessive in their rewards. So will my right honourable friend look at such schemes as part of her corporate governance review? Uh, the, my honourable friend's raised an important issue, and I'm pleased to say that, of course, this government has already taken some action on executive pay, giving shareholders the power to veto pay policies and forced companies to disclose the pay of their board directors and introduced particular tough transparency measures for banks. But I want to build on that, and that's why we have published uh, a green paper on how to strengthen shareholders' influence over executive pay and introduce greater transparency. And I look forward to receiving representations from my honourable friend on this issue. Kirsty Blackman. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister provide a commitment today that no part of the Great Repeal Bill will be subject to English votes for English laws? The Honourable Lady might uh, recognise that the Great Repeal Bill will have a number of complex issues that it will be dealing with. It will be ensuring at its, at its heart will be the European... At its heart will be the repeal of the European Communities Act. Part of and one of the issues that we will need to look at as we look at that bill and as we look at negotiating our way out of the European Union is uh, the whole issue of reserve matters and, uh, and devolved matters. But there are many, there are many aspects for that. Well, order! 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 Members of the Scottish National Party, led by the Right Honourable Gentleman on the front bench, who's supposed to be a statesman-like figure... <laughs> demonstrate some calm and reserve while they're being answered by the Prime Minister who was questioned. The Prime Minister. The Honourable Lady will know full the Honourable Lady will know full well that any legislation brought before this House, if any part of it only applies to England, or then it will be subject to the English votes on English laws. Nadine Dorries. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I congratulate the Prime Minister on her delivery yesterday for an historic, definitive, pragmatic, outward-looking speech, which saw the pound rise to its highest level in two years and the FTSE up today. Would she agree with me that a strong and prosperous UK, as she has, as she has planned, would be a nightmare for the leader of the opposition and the EU ruling class? Well, I agree with my honourable friend. A strong and prosperous Britain is exactly what we will want to build as we leave the, uh, leave the European Union. It's only a pity that it seems that the Labour Party aren't interested in doing that, and they want to do the exact opposite and bring this economy down. Closed question, Mr Chris Bryan. Number three, Mr Speaker. I uh, always enjoy my visits to Wales, and I hope to visit Wales in the future. There is quite an answer to whether she's going to visit the Rhonda, and I hope she will. I, I'm happy to accommodate her. I can do uh, you know, uh, bake, bacon and eggs. Uh, more importantly, I could take her to see um, the best brass band in the world, the Cory Band, or for that matter, I could take her to the local food bank, the local food bank, which is based in the closed-down Conservative Club. Um, but what's happening at the moment is that since 2010, the government has closed 
the local courts, it's closed the local tax office, the DWP office and the driving centre. And now the government is intending to close all the tax offices in Wales and centralise them in Cardiff. We feel in the valleys as if we're just ignored by the government. So can I just beg her to change direction and start putting government offices in the small towns, villages and valleys of this country? Well, can, can I uh, say to the right hon. General that the last time I looked, Cardiff was actually in Wales. He says we're going to take offices away from Wales, but we're going to put them in Cardiff. I think he might find that this... Uh, the, whole, the whole point about what the HMRC is doing is that they're taking, uh, moving from outdated offices to large, modern regional centres. That's going to make it possible for them to modernise their ways of working. It will make tax collection more efficient and it will actually improve customer services by HMRC. Ms Green! Thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome my right honourable friend's speech setting out a plan for global Britain. It clearly shows this side of the House is listening to the British people. Would my right honourable friend commend this approach to the council leaders now considering the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework consultation responses? as they need to listen to the people, give us better infrastructure and protect our green spaces. Well, uh, I thank my my honourable friend for his comments, but also for raising this issue. I understand that the consultation on this uh, spatial framework closed earlier this week, uh, and I understand that there's been a huge amount of interest among local people in this, and I would simply uh, echo his comment that it is absolutely right to say that local leaders should take all representations that have been made into account. Ian Blackford. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the United Kingdom, we have 14 regional markets for electricity distribution, and Highlanders and Islanders are facing higher prices because of where we live. Electricity distribution charges for the north of Scotland are an eye-watering 84% higher than distribution charges for London. The Prime Minister talks about fairness. Will she introduce a universal market for electricity pricing and stop penalising Highlanders and Islanders? Those of us that live in the coldest, windiest places are discriminated against by her government, and it must end. Well, the the Honourable Gentleman draws uh, attention to the fact that, of course, geography does have an impact on these these matters. He talks about living in the coldest and windiest windiest place. Uh, Obviously, one of the issues that's uh, that's interesting to look at in relation to Scotland is the whole question of renewables and the opportunities for renewables that appear in Scotland. Uh, But uh, I can tell him that uh, we are looking at the impact. We're looking at the... we're looking at making sure we're looking at making sure that energy markets in the UK are indeed working properly. Andrew Salou, I'm very pleased that the Prime Minister has said that she will take the necessary action on air quality to deal with the 40,000 premature deaths it causes across our country every year. As I know she believes in her government leading by example, will she make sure that all diesel cars are removed from the government car service as soon as possible. Well, uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right in that improving air quality is a priority for this government. We're determined to cut harmful emissions. 
We have committed money since 2011 to supporting the take-up of low-emission vehicles. The Government Car Service is indeed working to remove diesel vehicles from its fleet. It has so far replaced a quarter of its vehicles with petrol hybrid cars, and of course this work continues to remove those diesel vehicles. Barry Sherman. Mr. Mr. Speaker, is the Prime Minister aware that I totally agree with what she said yesterday? It's the job of people in this... Wait for it. (laughs) We in this House have a real responsibility for our children and grandchildren to have a bright future. But is she aware there are dark clouds looming on the horizon in terms of intolerance, racism across Europe, and the foundering and the flux of many of our great institutions that have kept peace and prosperity since the last World War. And I speak here of the United Nations, the NATO, and indeed the European Union. Are we fit for purpose in keeping this country safe, secure in that world? I absolutely recognise the important issue that the Right Honourable Gentleman has raised in this, uh, in this area. And it is precisely as we move out of the European Union, the United Kingdom will be more outward-looking. We will be looking globally. We want to ensure that we continue to play our part in the United Nations, that the United Nations itself is able to do the job that everybody wants it to do. We want to make, Obviously, NATO has been a, the, the most important bulwark in terms of maintaining the safety and security across the European continent. That is why we are continuing to support NATO. And indeed, British troops uh, are in Estonia. Uh, as British forces in Poland, in Romania, continuing to show our commitment to NATO. And the thrust of my speech yesterday was that we want a strong strategic partnership with the European Union. We want that access to the, uh, to the single market, that free trade agreement, but we also want to continue to work to them, with them on justice and security matters, because now is not a time to cooperate less, it's a time to cooperate more. Paul Scully. Uh, third round replay where, they, where Sutton United won 3-1 against Wimbledon. But what their pressing issue is, what I'm making really happy, is to be able to get into work on a day-to-day basis. Oh, yeah. Does the Prime Minister share my cautious optimism that the return to talks by Aslef and Southern can actually provide a long-lasting solution for hard-pressed commuters? Yeah. Well, as a, a former Wimbledon councillor, I'm not sure that I quite share the enthusiasm that my honourable friend said for the defeat of AFC Wimbledon. Um, But on the point that he raised about the train strikes, uh, yes I do and I hope that those sitting around the table are going to ensure that we can see an agreement reached which enables passengers to actually be able to get on with their lives, get on with their jobs and not suffer the misery that was brought about them by the strike in the first place. On McDonough. Mr Speaker, can I agree with the Prime Minister and disagree with the last member about the reference to last night's meeting in AFC results. But if the Prime Minister really believes that GP surgery should be open seven days a week, 12 hours a day, would she be my guest at a residence meeting against Department of Health Dictact, which will close the 6,000 strong Mitchum Wilson surgery? Even better, could she just tell her government to stop cuts to GP services, which force thousands to attend hard-pressed A&Es like those at St George's and St Helier? Or is she just happy to oversee the possible collapse of the NHS on her watch? 
Well, as I, and I might remind the uh, Honourable Lady that she and I sat on a council together where we tried to keep Wimbledon actually playing in Wimbledon, or at least in the borough of Merton, rather than moving, uh, moving elsewhere. Uh, on the point of, about GP services, GPs are part of the solution in terms of the NHS for the future. That's why we have seen, we've seen more GPs coming into the NHS. There are something like uh, more GPs there. There are 5,000 more GPs being trained and will be in place by 2020. But what we do want to ensure is that GPs are open and providing the services at times when the patients want to access them. Uh, Subri. Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, it was quite clear from the Prime Minister's speech yesterday that she seeks to build a Brexit consensus and to bring our country back together. And I thank her for that. Uh, to that end, and indeed to strengthen the Prime Minister's negotiating hand before Article 50 is triggered, would she please consider at least publishing all those 12 objectives in a white paper so that we can debate them here in this place on behalf of all our constituents. Well, my, my honourable friend, I absolutely uh, understand the point that she raised about Parliament's desire to be able to debate those objectives, which I set out very clearly in the plan that I set out yesterday. One of the objectives, one of the principles I set, was about certainty and clarity, and it continues to be the government's intention that we will provide clarity wherever it is, whenever it is possible, and we will ensure that at appropriate times both the public and Parliament are kept informed and are able to consider and properly scrutinise these issues. Louise Elman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. While dedicated and talented staff at the Royal Liverpool Hospital's Accident and Emergency Department struggle to find beds for sick people, around 135 patients are unable to be discharged solely because of government cuts to social care. When will the government recognise its responsibilities and not try to blame GPs for a problem of the government's own making? There is a pressure on social care. I've accepted that in this House. I've recognised that in this House. That's precisely why the Government has recognised it and put improved funding through the Better Care Fund on the social care precept. Liverpool this year raised £2.8 million from the precept, and on top of that they'll receive over £48 million from the improved Better Care Fund by 2019-20. But this isn't just a question of money. It is a question of ensuring we have a sustainable social care system for the future, and that's what the Government is working on. Mr Burt. Thank you, uh, thank you Mr Speaker. Could I commend my right honourable friend for her remarks yesterday, not least the constructive tone she took towards the EU and the future of the EU, in marked contrast to others that we've heard over the years from many different quarters in the UK. Would she confirm that that constructive tone will remain as the best base for getting an agreement between ourselves and the EU for mutual interest, and that the default position of no deal will remain a default position, not be persuaded into being the government's preferred option? Absolutely. We want to get that good deal and we expect to be able to get that good deal. And my right honourable friend is absolutely right that it is through goodwill and a positive approach on both sides of these negotiations that we will achieve that. I was very, I'm very clear that the UK wants to see a continuing strong European Union of 27 member states. We want to have a strong strategic partnership with that 
European Union and, of course, continue to work bilaterally with individual member states. And I made this point to a number of European leaders uh, yesterday when I spoke to them after my speech uh, that we do want to approach this in a positive uh, and uh, optimistic fashion because I believe that a deal that is good for the UK will be a deal that is good for the European Union. Louise Hay. Mr Speaker, the National Auditor revealed the abject failures in the Concentrix fiasco which resulted in thousands of people wrongly denied their tax credits. This was not one rogue contractor, but a system designed by government to pursue and chase down claimants for profit. So does the Prime Minister agree with the Chief Executive of HMRC that payment by results has no place in our welfare system? And will she review this model or will she wait for the next scandal to hit vulnerable people? I recognise many people received a poor service from Concentrix. It's not the first time this has been highlighted in this chamber. This was not acceptable, and I apologise for the worry and distress that was caused for people. We've been very clear about that service operated by Concentrix. HMRC will learn the lessons from that contract, and they remain committed to providing a high-quality service. And it will not use a private sector supplier to undertake tax credits, error and fraud checks again. Mr Kenneth Clark. Mr Speaker, further, further to the question from my uh, honourable friend, the member for Broxtow, uh, the Prime Minister did yesterday confirm her commitment to parliamentary democracy, uh, and uh, she uh, therefore, I assume, accepts the long-standing convention that the executive, the government, is continuously accountable to this House for the policies that it is pursuing. Could she therefore clarify whether or not she intends to make any further statements of policy attentions to this House and whether she anticipates this House having an opportunity to vote its approval for those policies earlier than two years away when the whole negotiation has been completed. Uh, my right honourable friend obviously raises a matter that not only our honourable friend, the member for Broxtow, has raised, but others have raised as well. And I, if I can simply make this point. Obviously, yesterday, my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Exiting the European Union, uh, came and I think spent two hours answering questions from honourable and right honourable members in this House. There is a further debate, general debate, uh, on Europe, uh, exiting the European Union matters taking place today. There have been a number of these debates already, looking at the issues that are part of the objectives that we have set. Uh, we will have to consider the result of the decision of the Supreme Court, which may, if it goes against the Government, require legislation to be brought before this House. Uh, there will be an opportunity in the Great Repeal Bill to look at a number of issues around exiting the EU. But as to voting on the actual deal that we have, we can't vote on that until we know what the deal is. And that's why I said yesterday Parliament will have a vote when we know what that deal is. Dr Ailey Whiteford. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's passing reference to the interests of Spanish fishermen yeah. in her speech yesterday ah, yeah. rather let the cat out of the bag that our fishing opportunities are already on the table as a bargaining chip before the Brexit yeah, negotiations yeah. have even started. Yeah, yeah, so what exactly does the Prime Minister want to offer the Spanish fishermen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I made a very simple point yesterday, which is that this negotiation is not just about the United Kingdom. There will be others in the European Union who will be looking for ensuring that the deal we get is good for the UK and good for the, uh, for the European Union. But I have to say to the Honourable Lady, if she in any sense thinks that continued membership of the common fisheries policy is what we should be looking for, that is certainly not the case, and that's certainly one of the things we voted, we voted against. Lefroy. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The people, the people of Staffordshire and Stoke-on-Trent are again being confronted with a possible loss of emergency services in Stafford or Burton when our acute hospitals are constantly under intense pressure. Would the Prime Minister agree with me, my honourable friend, our honourable friend for Burton and other local MPs, that closing A&Es is no way to deal with increased, real, not imagined need? I think I would say to my honourable friend the important issue is the level of service that is available to people in any particular local area. That's why uh, the transformation plans, the sustainability and transformation plans that are being considered and have been published are taking into account and are being considered at a local level for local clinicians and local people to be able to agree what is best in their particular area. Mr Speaker, last Friday I went to Blackpool Victoria Hospital where the number of people waiting 12 hours or more in A&E doubled last year, 100 of them aged 90 or over. Now, trust managers told me our biggest factor in delays is discharging patients who can't get community care. My local paper said government cuts have eroded support for them. So will she stop waffling about her shared society? Listen to her own budget watchdog saying we will need £30 billion for older people in the next 10 years and put that money not into corporation tax cuts but into local adult care and the NHS. Uh, just looking at the figures for what has happened in health in his um, particular area, there are more doctors in his NHS Foundation Trust, there are significantly more nurses in his NHS Foundation Trust. Uh, but the I know what the Honourable Gentleman is talking about and I'm about to comment on it. But the Honourable Lady who is is shouting from a sedentary position might have recognised that he started off talking about the NHS, which is what I'm also commenting on. Order! I'm not having an exchange across the dispatch box or across the House at this point. Order! The Prime Minister was asked a question and she order... I require no help from the Honourable Gentleman, which is of zilch value. The Prime Minister will answer, and she will be heard with courtesy, including by the Honourable Gentleman, the Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Honourable Gentleman asked me about pressures on the National Health Service. We are seeing more doctors and more nurses in his Blackpool uh, Teaching Hospitals NHS Foundation Trust, and health funding in the Honourable Gentleman's area uh, will be three billion this year, and this will be rising up to uh, a, a, with a further 450 million by 2020-21. But in terms of the issue of social care, as I have said in this House before, we are putting extra money into social care. We're giving local authorities the opportunity to raise more money and spend it on social care. But this is not just about more money, it's about ensuring best practices spread throughout the country and it's about a long-term solution to sustainable social care for the future, an issue that has been ducked by governments, including a Labour government, for 13 years. Matt Warman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Friday, the east coast of England faced the threat of a tidal surge that endangered tens of thousands of homes and thousands of lives. 
A simple change in the weather meant that flooding was averted. But will the Prime Minister join me in praising the response of the emergency services planning ahead, involving the army, the Coast Guard, the fire service and the ambulance and the police to make sure that the best possible plans were made? And will she further join with me in making sure that the public know that these warnings in future should always be taken seriously? My my honourable friend raises a very important point. I'm very happy to join with him in commending the action of all those in the emergency services and our armed forces in local authorities who work so hard uh, to make sure that this problem that was being dealt with, uh, as he said, a change in weather uh, uh, took place. But it is absolutely crucial that when these warnings are given, people recognise that they are given for a very good reason, and they are given because there is a concern about the danger that took, could uh, take place. And the efforts that put in saved, uh, protected tens of thousands of properties. And I'm pleased to see that the work that uh, we have learnt from previous flooding incidents, and I think the work between uh, emergency services, local services, and the armed forces was much better coordinated than perhaps has been uh, in the past. And so we've been able to learn from flooding in the past. Mr Speaker, in response to the Honourable Member for Broxtow, the Prime Minister talked about her desire to give clarity around our exit of the EU. Many of my constituents are European citizens, paying tax here, bringing up their families. What assurance can she give them about their future, particularly if they change employer or are freelancers? One of the the objectives I set out in my speech yesterday was uh, what I have said before, which is uh, about the guaranteeing of rights for uh, EU citizens living here in the UK, but I also want to see the rights of UK citizens living in the 27 member states being guaranteed as well. I remain open and I would encourage others to agree with me, uh, others across Europe, to agree with me that this is an issue we should look at at an early stage and as early a stage as possible in order to give people the confidence and reassurance that she is looking for. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In supporting my right honourable friend's endeavours in facing the difficult challenges in both social care and the National Health Service, can I invite her to endorse the concept and continuance of community hospitals in our market towns across the country. They perform and provide a vital piece of the jigsaw in our National Health Service, such as that of the Westminster Memorial in Shaftesbury, my constituency. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure that, as uh, uh, my honourable friend says, uh, the uh, Westminster Memorial in Shaftesbury is providing good services for local people. The, the, what the structure of the local services should be, of course, is a matter for discussion at that local level. And what is crucial is that local commissions uh, uh, agree, and others agree, that we have a safe and secure service for people, and that they are provided with the NHS services they need at the most appropriate level. Uh, but I fully accept the point my honourable friend is making, is that very often we think only of major district general hospitals and acute hospitals, but actually the NHS is made up of many different parts. And what we need to ensure is that patients are being treated at the most appropriate level for their needs. Finally, Hal Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. How can abandoning membership of the Customs Union that takes 68% of Wales's exports including crucially 90% of our food and drink exports, and which supports 200,000 jobs, cause anything other than calamitous self-harm. 
What we will be doing is negotiating a free trade agreement with the European Union to get the best possible access for trade with the European Union. But we also want to be able to negotiate deals, uh, uh, trade agreements with other countries around the world. A number of countries have already expressed interest in doing that with us. We want to do that to open up and see new export markets being delivered for businesses here in the United Kingdom, including for the sort of uh, uh, trade that he's talking about in Wales. And in the customs uh, aspect with the European Union, we want to have an arrangement with them that will have as frictionless borders as possible.